Well, we are. We are, but you are. So but don't take your shirt off. <laughs> no, or take me, your shirt off. You know what? Right. Take your shirt off. It's not, exactly. not rule anything out, guys. That's an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> this is our city, and nobody going to dictate our freedom. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that the world needs more podcasts. And here to fill that gaping void, we are the Sons of Elhorn. This is the inaugural debut episode of the Sons of Elhorn podcast. Uh, thank you for welcoming us into your ears. My name is Matt Wehmeyer from my humble abode in New Jersey. I am joined by my tag team partner, Steve Sheely, from his humble abode in Connecticut, and Darwin Zook from his humble abode, his cozy surroundings in New York. Now, you might be thinking, one dude in New Jersey, one in New York, one in Connecticut, talking Boston sports. A little odd, but to me, that just speaks to the scope and the reach of Boston sports and Boston fandom. That's what we're talking about. I want to bring these guys in because I'm by far the least important of this trio. I want to start with Steve Sheely. Because he, like me, a father of two, and he, like me, maybe a little exhausted right now because you just put the kids to bed, but I'm getting fired up again to talk Boston sports. And to see your guys' faces, too, is invigorating me. Steve Sheely, talk to me. It's nice, buddy. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. You know, like, we have been on a text thread for the last year or two. And, you know, like everyone else, we have not left the house. Um, I have to uh, wrap up in saran wrap just to go get some bread. Um, so it's nice to actually see some smiling faces here and, 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 and hear your voices, the, the dulcet tones of Matt Wayman, mm, the booming mm. vocals of Darwin Zook as everyone is about to experience. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat right now because it's my, it's my turn to pass the mic over to Darwin Zook. Although before I do, I just want to say, Waymire called everyone out where we are. I'm the only one in New England right now. That's true. I got to give you major props for that because you get bonus points for that. Um, but uh, Darwin, yes, as, as uh, Steve alluded to, uh, the booming voice. And for those that don't have the, you know, uh, for those listening, don't have the benefit of video. I want to I want to just describe Darwin here. Picture picture Luca Garza. OK, if he was a little bigger, a little more muscular and a lot better at basketball, you would have Darwin Zook, ladies and gentlemen. So with that, Darwin. Take it away, my That's friend. That's impossible to follow that <laughs> intro. My goodness. You guys are killing me. But uh, yeah, podcast, the world needs more of that. And the world needs more Boston sports, like you said. You can't get enough Boston sports. And I can't get enough complaining about Boston sports in the last couple of years. And I'm sure we're going to get into this more in depth. But I have a lot to get off my chest about what's been going on with Boston sports over the last couple of years. Uh, and I know the world doesn't want to hear it because there's a lot of titles in Beantown since, you know, the year 2001 when the, when the Patriots uh, finally broke through and the Red Sox in 04. But in the last few, in the last few years, it, it's, it's starting to go downhill. It, it, it's starting to come back around that cycle. And, and, and it's, I'm not pleased about it. So I'm sure we're going to touch on that. And you know, the, the funny part here is that when we were having kind of our pre-show meeting and we're, we're discussing our format and our rundown, what we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss a guy who is not a Boston athlete anymore, but he's the quintessential champion winner and icon in Boston sports. I want to start, of course, with the GOAT, Tom Brady, coming off his seventh Super Bowl. And oh, one I'm, thing I want to I, point I, out, I, too. I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I, but, I, I thought you were talking about Vinny Testaverde. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I wouldn't give him goat status, but what's uh, what's the next thing down from goat? Could be feeding a goat right now. Don feeding a goat, possibly, possibly. We love Vinny, former Miami Hurricane. That's right, you know my hometown. Not my hometown, but I was born in Miami. But I'm getting off track here. I'm getting off track. Let's talk about the goat because uh, one thing that that I should point out is that um, I love my Celtics, my Red Sox, and my Bruins. I I somehow didn't become a Patriots fan. Uh, that was a major mistake because I, I kind of took the lead from my family members who made me a Boston sports fan many, 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 too many years ago. Didn't latch onto the Patriots. I'm kind of paying for it now. So as a, as a non-Patriots fan, I want to hear from you guys who have lived and breathed Patriots for all your lives. How happy are you for Tom Brady? How happy are you for a guy to see him go to another team 
and be as successful as he was with your team? Because I'm I'm genuinely curious to know about that. Matt, honestly, I, I don't know how Shealy's going to weigh in on this, but if you root for a guy, right, and a team for a long period of time, you become attached to not only the color of that uniform and the laundry, if you will, you become attached to those certain players. And when one of those players literally leads you to six Super Bowl titles, six Super Bowl titles, when he leaves through no fault of his own because he wasn't given a contract by the team to stay and goes and wins another one, of course you're rooting for that guy. If Patriot fans aren't rooting for Tom Brady, then they were never Patriot true fans to begin with. You can't let the guy go who won six, goes and gets a seven somewhere else and say, yeah, I wasn't really rooting for him. I was rooting against him. To me, it's a no-brainer. You have to root for that guy. That's the guy that helped bring you all that joy, all those Super Bowl parties, all those time getting together with friends and watching those big games. He was the leader, more than Belichick, that brought that team together. So he goes somewhere else. Yes, 100%, you're rooting for that guy. No question. I'm lo- I'm looking at Steve Sheely's face, and uh, I um, let's let's get the rebuttal. How, how, where's Mr. the Sheely? why groan? I don't understand. Uh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I do mostly agree with you. Mostly, I will say. I'm gonna I'm gonna clarify that in a second. But yes, of course, Tom Brady has been with us since since the early days, 2001, right? Since you he were was, a child. Yeah, I was I was I was like seven years old at that point. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going to let, because no one can see the wrinkles of the crow's feet. Uh, hopefully they believe that. I, I love Tom Brady. Tom Brady is, I, you know, I've got like three or four jerseys of his that, you know, I can't wear anymore because I'm an old man. But I love Tom Brady. He's the best quarterback I'll ever root for. That is the best player, NFL player I will ever root for. Probably the best athlete I will ever root for. Um, very few times and very few sports franchises have the ability to say that I rooted for the best player to ever play that sport. New England Patriots fans can say that. That's 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 a really cool thing, and that just that just doesn't go away because he moves down south because he retired because he's seven thousand years old. So why the groan then? The the groan is because you have to have a little bit in you saying, "Yeah, I'm happy for him," but not so happy for me. I'm still a Patriots fan. I can't turn that off. I'm not going to turn that off. Listen. No matter how old I will be, I will always be a Patriots fan. And when I watch the Patriots go through the, the, the falling off the cliff of the year that they just had, it's, it's a little bittersweet. I mean, it's like having an ex-girlfriend go out and date someone who's younger, better looking, and has more money than you. And, and you, you, know, you, you liked her. Zook would know nothing about that, but I see your point. No one, no one leaves Zook. <laughs> but I'm blushing, Matt. You can watch her go, and you could be happy for her if it lay, if it ended on amicable terms. But at some point, you're still going to say, "Man, we had a good thing, baby. Why'd you go?" <laughs> but who do you? But Sheely, who do you blame in that situation? No, I, no, I, I'm with you. I blame, I. Well, I don't even necessarily blame Belichick. It's it's obviously Belichick's the person who made this happen. Kraft didn't want this to happen. It seems like. I don't even go that far. Brady kind of wanted to happen because of Belichick. I certainly, if you're going to go down that road of who's to blame, then yes, it is probably, it is probably Bill Belichick's fault. But can you really blame the guy for pushing out a quarterback who's this old? We've never seen anything like this in the history of the game, a quarterback succeeding. And especially you just saw what happened last season. He wasn't exactly kicking doors in and, and, you know, and taking the league by storm because he didn't have the help around him. So what are you going to do? By extending this guy, if he was on the Patriots this year, they would have done the exact same thing they did the previous year. Seven and first nine? Round, first round, no, no, no. The first round exit in the playoffs. They didn't have the help around him. And especially, no one could foresee the COVID thing with players holding out. But they didn't have the team. Look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. That team was stacked. I would kill for one of those wide receivers. They had three of them. Yeah, I just I think I think when you have something going great with the greatest of all time, you try and continue that for as long as possible. And and Belichick, he's always trying to get rid of someone before they get past their prime that we know he's always done that with a million players. Wes Welker going back to Richard Seymour, all these different Patriots where he he says, let's cut ties a year early instead of a year late. That's that's Belichick's strategy. Generally, it works. 
But when you have a guy like Brady, when in 2014 you draft Jimmy Garoppolo or in 13, going into the 13-14 Seahawks Super Bowl when the Patriots won, he was already trying to push Brady out the door, and Brady was able to fight that off. And but again, can you blame him? Can you blame him? Who could have foreseen him Brady winning three more Super Bowls? Well, then the proof's in the pudding, though. When you win a couple of them, then you give the guy the contract that you don't keep going year by year and trying to... Uh, lower his contract every time. You he ain't getting any younger. It's not like he's getting younger from year to year. At some point, you have to think the magic's going to wear off. Yeah, So, but why anticipate that when you have a guy who's been there for 20 years? At some point, you have to make an exception for certain athletes over time. The Bulls handled it wrong with Jordan, too. Should uh, they have let him go on the sixth? One thing I, I want to ask you guys, and this is something I, I should have looked up, but I was a little lazy, I guess. It seemed like Cam Newton, pre-COVID, was doing pretty well, not setting the world on fire, not not giving anyone Patrick Mahomes flashbacks or comparisons, but it seemed like he was doing okay. It was, I mean, to you guys, you know, pre-COVID and, and post-COVID, I mean, was he was this just a complete 180 from him? Yeah, I mean, uh, I look at it, I don't know if it's COVID or not. Obviously, there is a huge, huge factor that COVID is playing, right? But how much is it, how much of it was COVID and how much of it was his shoulder falling off. That's, that seems to be what happened. He got a little bit banged up and wasn't able to throw the ball. I mean, if you look at Patriots Nation and week two or week three, I'm, I'm forgetting off the top of my head when, when the week was, from then forward, like it, we were doing somersaults. We were like, oh my God, we have, uh, maybe not Zook because he's got a little fanboy on Tom Brady, but the rest of Patriots Nation was, The rest of Patriots Nation was doing flips, thinking, oh, my God, we have Cam Newton. We just we lucked out. We've got the guy who's going to take us even further than what Tom Brady was able to take us last year. And then he was he was unable to throw the ball further than five yards down five yards downfield. I think it's the shoulder, too. I mean, I'm with you there, Sheila. We can agree on that point. I think, yeah, COVID plays a factor. We don't know all the effects and how that plays out over time. You know, there's still studies and all that. But it does seem, you see with Jason Tatum with the Celtics, he looked lethargic for several weeks after he had COVID. So certainly there's an effect. But to me, I think it goes back to your original point about Newton's shoulder. And he just, he can't throw the ball downfield. COVID doesn't prevent you from just stepping up in the pocket and not being able to throw more than 40 yards down the field. I mean, most quarterbacks now can... Patrick Mahomes can sling it off his back foot 60 yards. And like you said, you don't have to be Mahomes, but Newton's arm strength diminished greatly. If you can't throw a 10-yard out and put it there on someone's chest when he's open, you got a real problem. He's, he was throwing ground balls, you know, by the middle of the season. It was kind of sad to watch at the end. He, like you said, he was just skipping balls that any other quarterback, you know, um, Chad Pennington could have made. Ooh, that's cold. <laughs> that's cold. Let's see what steps the Patriots take moving forward. I think one thing we can all agree is that, you know, despite the down year and Darwin, you said it, you know, it's you have your issues with Belichick. I'm sure a lot of fans do, but there's no questioning. He is the guy to lead this team. He is the guy to make the decisions. He's the guy you put your trust in. Can we say the same thing about Brad Stevens? I think that's the next big question. Darwin, I, I know you've made your feelings very clear in our Sons of Elhorn uh, group chat over the years about Brad Stevens. I think the the bloom is off the rose. <laughs> yes, to, to put it mildly, I agree. The bloom is off the rose a little bit. Going forward, is he the guy, if this team is going to hang Banner 18, will he be the guy at the helm to do it? Uh, you know, I don't think Zook has ever met a coach or manager that he actually did like. I, I think point. I think that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you could say a lot about, about what Brad Stevens has done this year or has not done, and, and a lot of it would be, honestly be fair. But what wouldn't be fair is hanging on him the roster construction. Uh, they do have some talented players in there, but their depth is really not there. Who, like, look at their players 4 through 12 down the line. It's, it's, most of them, Shemi Ojale is not an NBA player. He's not an NBA player. And he's probably the best player that they have on their bench. Scary thought. That is a scary thought. And and I do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a tough one, Sheely, because you don't want to just blame the coach. Like the way I look at coaching a lot is how do how do they handle pressure moments? Right. How do they handle like the biggest moments? And that's my beef with Stevens. Is I feel like he's good at calling plays out of timeouts. That's been scripted. But 
getting his team up for like a big game, like the Miami Heat, when it's right there in front of your face and you have a couple games to win to get to the finals in a wide open Eastern Conference in the bubble last year, and he can't get his team over the top. And I understand the excuses, young, young talent, uh, Brown and Tatum, your two best players are young, uh, Hayward's hurt, a lot of different factors. But and I, I think Stevens gets some of the blame along with the general manager, Danny Ainge, because some of Ainge's draft picks, as good as they've been in the top six when he's drafted smart Tatum Brown good draft picks but some of those later picks really haven't contributed from last year Neesmith to uh even Robert Williams is finally coming on but he was supposed to be like wow we found Robert Williams at 20 this guy is going to be huge for us and finally he's showing something so I think Ainge deserve you know if, if the pie is 50-50, Ainge Stevens, in terms of why this team has underachieved so far. The jury's still out, but at, at this point, they've underachieved, I think, even with the talent level they have now. I'll tell you what. They're, they're, we've been talking, Zook and I have been talking a lot about the Patriots, right? Because we're both Patriots fans, and, and, and this is Waymire's time to shine here. He is also a Celtics fan. I'd <laughs> love to hear his opinion on this. Well, um, as as far as Stevens goes, I see I see both sides of the argument. I think I would I would tilt a little more towards supporting him for the mere fact that, and I'm not saying that one player makes a team or one player makes this much of an impact or a difference, but Marcus Smart, he, that has been such a huge loss for this team. And you know, I, I've seen you know certain pundits on certain networks over the weeks, you know, question the team's uh, effort and heart and desire and how it's not there. And when they say all these things, I, I just think to myself, well, those are all Marcus smart attributes and traits and abilities. And to, to not have him on the floor, I just think has created such a domino effect. I mean, you know, we've seen in, in the games leading up to the all-star break, you know, Tatum and Brown, they had some clunkers. I mean, and, but on one hand, I can't blame them. You know, we, we brought up at the, you know, the top of the, the podcast that, uh, you know, Tatum, battling some COVID issues. And then on top of that, carrying this huge load minutes wise and, and shot wise. And I mean, they had some very poor shooting performances because there's been such a, a minutes load and such a burden on, on each of these guys. And I just think that not having Marcus smart has hurt in so many ways. And, and, you know, li listen, we all love Marcus, but nobody, and I mean, nobody loves Marcus smart. Boy, the Darwin suck loves Marcus smart. So Darwin, I would think that you support me on this. And I think it's, until Marcus comes back, until he's 100% and doing Marcus smart things, it's going to be a, a rather incomplete, unfair assessment of just what we think about Brad Stevens' job. That's my opinion on that. I just got a neck spasm from, from nodding so hard during the last <laughs> two minutes of that. That is tremendous. I don't even know how where to go from there. But, you know, I echo it completely. When your heart and soul of your team is out for that long a period of time, especially the guy that... You know, he's had some issues at times with Brown and on-court things. They've gone back and forth. But I, I feel like Brown and Tatum need a little push sometimes. And, and Stevens isn't always the guy to give him that push. That's just not his style of coaching. And, and I and I do respect Stevens and what he's done and, going, and what he did at Butler and what he's done now with the Celtics, even though I disagree with some of his big game moves. But he's not the kind of coach that's going to get in someone's ass, <laughs> at least from what I've seen and say, Hey, we got to win this game. You got to score 30 tonight. You got to find a way to lead this team. He's just, that's just not the way he is. I feel like smart is the guy on the team in the organization that can do that. That's why I hear about these trade rumors involving smart. I'm like, are you crazy? He's the guy right now that's going to help motivate Brown and Tatum and really kind of compliment them not just on the court, but emotionally in terms of who they are to make this team get to the next level. So uh, I know they got a big one with the Nets, you know, going on, and then they got some other games coming up and Smart's back. So we'll see how that all translates. If anyone's made himself some money just from not playing the game of basketball in the last few weeks, it's Marcus Smart. He's like, to your points, he has shown his worth in spades. Um <laughs> And believe it or not, he actually just hit the craziest circus shot that you can imagine him making. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing about Marcus Smart is 90% of the time he's fantastic. He's your favorite player. He's awesome. He's great. And then they're down by two points with 40 seconds left, and he pulls up with a 40-footer with no one under the rim. And you just think, why? Heat check, Sheely. Heat check. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> That's I like would, old I Antoine Walker stuff. You love 20. You just come down from oh, 35 and let it I, fly. I did, love I did love Tuan. In fact, <laughs> my old eight Tuan jersey is still relevant because we got Kemba who can, you know, he's gimping a little bit, but he's okay. Number eight Walker. He's okay. Four, 
Former former UConn, stand up. That's right. That's right. No, I you know I agree with all of it. That Sheila, you nailed it. If if there's a guy who has proven his worth by not playing and by <laughs> by being in the street clothes for the better part of two months now, it is certainly Marcus Smart. So you know, uh, as as we sit here yammering away. They're giving the Nets maybe the hottest team in basketball, everything they can handle at the Barclays Center. So, you know, we'll see uh, how that plays out. One guy that uh, I think we we have to bring up, and that's been such a, a huge X factor. Well, I shouldn't say an X factor because he's not a Celtic anymore. Gordon Hayward. Losing him, I, I think, look, I was I was among those who kind of scoffed and laughed at the notion like, wait a minute, he got how much money from the Charlotte Hornets? Are you kidding me? Well, I think he shut up a lot of people because he is he has been – Utah Jazz, Gordon Hayward this year uh, for Charlotte. He's been that good. But the thing that I keep coming back to is he's playing a leading role alongside LaMelo Bell, who's also ball, who's also just been bonkers amazing this year and is going to be the runaway rookie of the year. He's playing a leading role for that team. He would not have played the same role with the Celtics team. He was going to be at best third banana and probably fourth behind Kemba. So I think that for as much as people lament his loss in this production, I don't think he's putting up Charlotte numbers in a Celtics uniform this year. You guys agree? Yeah, I think it was never going to work, though. I mean, you know, I'm torn on it. I agree with your point that Hayward, you know, they could use him. No question right now. It was just another piece, but he wasn't going to get the type of shots and and sort of be in control of the offense the way I think he likes to be, the way he was with the Jazz. He was really the best player with the Jazz when he was there, and now, along with Ball, but Ball's a rookie, Hayward's really kind of the leader on that team and the best overall player on that team. So he wasn't going to get those same opportunities, and I don't think he wanted to be in a mentor role for Brown and Tatum. The way Hayward looks at it, despite that gruesome injury a couple years ago, he's still in his prime. So, you know, he wanted to move on, and I think what the Celtics did wrong is they kind of – they overplayed their card when they could have dealt him and got something back from Indiana. And they kind of ended up with nothing except this trade exception, but that's kind of a tangent. I agree agree with you, Matt, you know, they could use Hayward now and he's, he's doing well with the Hornets. What a first round matchup that could be. Hornets Celtics could be a first round matchup. Rozier (laughs) Hayward going up against, they think they have something to prove. I mean, wow. I, I think if you look at any one thing, you look at Gordon Hayward in his games he's played, right? 72 games his rookie year, 66, 72, 77, 76, 80, 73, 1. Guess and what not year even that was? One. Yeah, right. That was one minute, right? Or five minutes. Right, right. Um, it, he was snake bit. It wasn't going to work in Boston. Sometimes you need to change your real estate in order to get your groove back, right? And, and honestly, I, I view him a lot like I view Tom Brady. I'm happy for him. I want him to succeed. I don't want him to win a first-round series against the Celtics, but I want him to succeed. Uh, the one guy you guys are leaving off is Terry Rozier. Scary Terry is also cracking it down in uh, Charlotte. He's, he's been pretty good. In fact, you could make the case he's been better than Kemba. I think you can make a strong case he's been, he's been better than Kemba. Kemba, uh, in fairness, has been better lately. Uh, the last three or four games heading into the all-star break, he looked like, you know, he looked like Kemba Walker, like all-star Kemba Walker. But I agree with you that overall, he's certainly, meaning Rozier, he's certainly been healthier. He's certainly been more overall productive. So, so yeah, uh, if, if you could, if you had a choice between, you know, which guy would you want from the get-go this year, I would, I would have to pick Rozier and, you know, he was, he was a lot of fun to have around oh yeah he was a blast in game seven against the Cavs. i'm still emotionally scarred (laughs) can we talk about that can we actually talk about that because that was that was the that was the game that almost made zook rip his shirt off and kill every one of us well good thing we weren't all in the same room yeah could have been a problem (laughs) Uh, yeah it was game seven against the Cavs. you guys the year was so it was 20 let's see 2017 no 2018 uh, it was one of those two years. Game seven against the Cavs. Uh, LeBron in his final year with the Cavs. And the Celtics had a great opportunity in that series to take it in seven. And Brad Stevens, again, and this is I go back to big game moments. I question his substitution patterns. I question his game plans. I feel he's been outcoached in big games. Terry Rozier, go look at the stat sheet. I honestly think it was like three of 15 he shot from the floor. He had a John Starks night, didn't he? Yeah, and and he, yeah. and yet he didn't have the pedigree yet, Rogier, to leave him out there. What is Terry Rogier? It's not like you're leaving, you know, 
I don't know, pick any superstar, even like a guy like Donovan Mitchell. If he's three for 14, he's not coming out of the game because he's the Jazz's main guy and they're going to keep going to him. Terry Rozier wasn't the Celtics' main guy and he was three of 15 and Brad Stevens kept sticking with him. And I think, you know, that soured me towards Rozier. That being said, he's improved quite a bit in his time so far with Charlotte. I just, I don't know. Sometimes it, it takes me back to Stevens and how you started this off, Matt, just I question him in big games. If the Celtics get back somehow this year, they win a first round series, right? Then they have to go up against, say, Philly and the Nets. If they're in like a game seven against Philly, do you trust that Stevens is going to have the game plan and the idea? Do you double MB? Do you let him get 50? Whatever it is, I don't know if I trust Stevens to execute that type of game plan because to me, he's shown he doesn't win those type of games. Who are you replacing him with, though? Like, that, that's always been the key to me. Like, if you're going to say to me, I don't like Stevens, I don't want him as the coach of the Celtics, who are you replacing him with? Because who are you going to bring in, Kurt Rambis? Um, there, there are so many coaches out there where you're thinking, my God, this guy can't tie his shoes, right? Listen, this- Bill, Bill Fitch isn't walking through that door, okay? <laughs> let's, let's be honest. He's not walking through that door. Let me back it up a little bit. So I was kind of alluding to something I, I kind of wanted to talk about. You, you said group therapy. This is our therapy, right? We, we could talk about things. This is a safe space, right? Okay, so here we are. I, I, I don't know the year because time is a flat circle now. But that, that's what happened. We were all in this group chat. That's, that's how we've been communicating for the last number of years, this group chat every single night. Boston sports team is on. Celtics are on. What are we talking about? We're killing each other. We're killing this guy. We're killing that guy. We're praising this guy. We're going nuts. We're fans, right? We're enjoying the game. And there was one, one, one thing that happened, and it was the Celtics game. And I think, I think it was the year that Tatum dunked on LeBron late in the game uh, and, then, and then became allergic to the ball after that. And the Celtics lost. They lost to the yeah. Cavs, right? Right. Same game. Yeah. So – so we're all after the game. We're you know we're heartbroken. We're big Celtics fans. So we're, we're texting with each other and we're going back and forth and saying, ah, oh, God, you know, it's uh, that stunk. That was that was too bad. The uh, the Celtics they're just too young. Tatum, Brown, they're babies. They'll they'll have plenty of time to get back. And Zook lost his mind and, and started yelling at us. I think I got called names. I I have never been called in my life before. Well, it was in a text thread. So how much yelling? I mean, how many how many exclamations? Oh, everything was in caps. It was caps. Caps, emojis. They were scream texted. I think Darwin has you don't you don't understand. Darwin has 17 phones and he just types so hard. He breaks through a, through a phone and then has to get to his burner, his backup. This one actually does is broken. One thing I never told you guys about why that occurred is I I was I, I thought I was smart enough to put when the Celtics, you know, they weren't predicted to go to the finals right that year at all. You know, it was the cap. No. I put a nice, I, you guys didn't know this. I put a nice $50 wager on the Celtics to go to the finals, like literally oh, in before Christmas. It was like 50 to win. I believe it was, oh, it was like 11, 1100, 1200. Cause they really weren't, they were like the, the fifth rated team in the East in terms of their, um, in terms of the odds to get to the finals. So so Brad Stevens, as far as I'm concerned, owes me money, and and he blew it in that game. So that uh, so I took out my Stevens anger on you guys. That boy so. took your money. That boy took your money. He did. And uh, so in it this ran. public forum, I will apologize to you guys for taking out my anger on you when it really should have been directed at uh, Golly G. Whitaker's Brad Stevens, Golly G. Shucks in Boston, who you know doesn't curse and doesn't get fired up for anything. So I felt I had to do the firing up for him. And, and no one gets more fired up than you, and that's what we love about you. But I'll tell you what, you could say all you want about Brad Stevens and not having emotion and not, and not really going through those fired-up speeches, right? Uh, from everything I've heard, he is pretty hard on them when we don't see them. Like, he is getting in, I, I don't want to use the phrase that you used before so colorfully, getting in their, uh, we'll call it personal space. There we go. <laughs> and there's the difference between me and Sheely, right? <laughs> but, In one you know, perfect illustration. I love you know, it. You know, what, you know who he does remind me of? And uh, it's another Indiana guy, Larry Bird. Look at Larry Bird when he was the coach of the Indiana Pacers. They hit a game-winning shot. Everyone is going nuts in the arena. Larry Bird is just stoic, staring down his team like, yep. Yeah, well, yeah. he's also the guy in 87 when uh, – or 80 uh, – no, it was 85 – when they were down to the Lakers 2-1, and 
And in the locker room, he goes, we're just playing like a bunch of pansies out there. That's our problem. Yeah. So Bird yep. Bird would get in people's asses too <laughs> or, or, or in their personal a, space. My point is he was a player at that point, right? So point. I think right now, I think he is leaning on the Marcus Smarts of the team to, to get into other people's business and, and really take them to task. It's, it's hard for, I don't know how tall he is, whatever. We'll call him a six-foot white guy. Who's middle? Well, he's probably not even middle aged. He's what? He's he's young, right? But he's, anyway, he's ten years younger than all of us, isn't he? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's barely older than any of his players. But it's it's hard for him to get up in people's faces and yell at them and say, "Whoa, why didn't you do that?" And and he's never been able to do that in his life. It's a lot easier for Marcus Smart to get up in them and say, "Yo, you need to get to work. We need you here." Or you know, whatever colorful language you want to use, getting up in people's. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I agree. I I think, you know, and Sheila, you said it. Um, there is so much that we don't see. You know, you you watch a two hour broadcast of a game and and you think to yourself that like, you know, you know all the ins and outs of what's going on and, and how a certain coach or a certain player interacts with with his players or his teammates. That's maybe five percent of what goes on. You don't see what goes on in the locker room on a team flight after practice, you know text messages phone calls i mean we talk about practice yeah no i think that's a good point matt yeah you don't always see those stories behind the scenes i guess just in those big games even the x's and o's bother me i'm just repeating myself but in some of those big moments i'd like to see stevens win one of those big games where maybe they're even slightly underdogs and he comes through with a game plan or something to shut shut someone else down uh but we'll see i mean this is the year where they're going to be underdogs in a couple series if it gets that far in the playoffs Hey, Zook, yeah. you just mentioned something a little while ago that I'd like to touch back on it, if we could. You were talking about money. You were talking about winning a little bit of money. <laughs> Is there any other story you could possibly tell us where you won a little bit of scratch here and there? Well, yeah, I'm curious. yeah. Well, to make up for that, Stephen, thanks for bringing it up. I mean, <laughs> before the uh, season, I put a nice wager down on the Bucks and Chiefs. And uh, it paid out quite lovely for them to make the Super Bowl. And then I also had a second wager for the Bucks to win the Super Bowl, both of which was a nice return on investment considering total I put down $75 and got back a nice 2400 on those two bets combined. So not bad at all. Ladies and gentlemen, he's being, he's being modest. He's, he's got millions. He's got, he financed his third home right now because of this bet. I mean, I... I want to point out that uh, I lied at the top of the podcast when I said that Darwin was joining us from his uh, New York, uh, you know, humble abode. He's really on his private yacht in the Bahamas because from all the money he made on the Brady bet. So, you know, Darwin, I, I didn't want to blow up your spot at the top of the show, but now that we're discussing this, I figure I, I, I can't lie anymore. Yeah, those so aren't, those aren't car horns going by. That's the waves just rippling exactly. right there. As long exactly. as it's not Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> oh, man. We're... we're are we going there? <laughs> oh, well, we can go anywhere, yeah. I, I don't know if it's that kind of podcast. Uh, not yet, but hey, we could, it, could, it could turn into anything. You know, I, I do want to take a moment to to give a what the kids call a shout out uh, to uh, two, two fine young men who are kind of steering the ship uh, on this uh, experiment, Tim McMaster and Roz Guevara, uh, and both of whom that we know quite well uh, from our days working at Chelsea Market with uh, Major League Baseball Advanced Media. That was kind of the genesis uh, of this of this whole thing. That's how we we got to know each other. And you know what? I I find myself at times thinking about those days and maybe, maybe not missing them per se, because I, I think all five of us are in very good places right now in our in our professional lives. But you know what? For all the all the good or bad and all the all the warts that came with uh, with that certain position, we all met each other. And I'm going to get sentimental here and and just say that uh, thank God for that <laughs> because it has been an enduring uh, friendship uh, throughout these years. I started there in my goodness, what year was it? 2012, I think. Yeah, 20 2012. Uh, got let go in early 18, but but those six years, uh, you know. Just fantastic. And he, even though uh, Roz roots for the, the stinking Yankees, we, we still love the guy. And uh, he, is, he is part of this project. And, uh, you know, what was great about uh, MLB was that, you know, you, you had us, you know, the, the resident Red Sox fans. Obviously, you got your Yankees fans, Mets fans, and you go back and forth and debate and banter and, and this, that, and the other. 
but uh, we all bonded through a, a love of baseball and just a love of sports in general. And I think that, uh, you know, to, to have a forum right now where it's, it's just us cool Red Sox fans uh, to be able to talk about our team. But Darwin, you mentioned that, uh, you know, watching baseball these days, not as much fun as it used to be, right? No, it's really not. And, and one of the main reasons I loved the Red Sox in the 2000s, and it wasn't just because they were winning and, you know, 04, there is this element, you know, the Red Sox went through, fans went through their own version of rooting hell for years trying to get that World Series title and the curse. And so when they broke through in 04, you can never replicate that feeling, right? I mean, that was top three sports moments for me of all time. But, you know, the way baseball to me has changed since then, and I call it the nerdification of baseball now, I think it's I it's like unfortunate. That. I like that. I think it's really unfortunate that everything is about, and I don't even, I honestly am not trying to be funny. I don't even know the terms, barrel speed and warp speeds and wars and, <laughs> and, and spin rates and spin. And, and it's not to insult anyone that's really into that. And that's great. But I think in terms of watching a game for three hours, I, I'm a huge sports fan. And I don't give a crap about those things. And I'd like to see action on the field, not just home runs and strikeouts. And I know that's sort of the cliche that people say a lot, like, oh, you don't like baseball because it's home runs and strikeouts. Well, yeah, I'd like to see stolen bases. I'd like to see, you know, just, you know, a hit in the gap and running out plays. And I think baseball's really changed. And I think, and it's not just baseball, it's translated to basketball, but this, I, this kind of nerd aspect and all the GMs I feel like are these like, country club Yale Ivy League people that are all just implementing their thing on the game and Theo Epstein even said recently it was the architect of the 04 team he even said man I wish it hadn't gone to this point and he was one of the original architects of this type of thing and he says yeah the game has kind of gotten away from us at this point and so that's why honestly deep down I just can't get into baseball the way it once was yeah I I totally agree and I and I I actually bring up, I want to bring up, uh, you know, quotes from two very prominent uh, MLBers, one former, one current, with regards to this topic that really caught my ear lately. Uh, Francisco Lindor, who's now a Met, God help him, um, he said, he had a great quote um, the other day. He said, you know, look, I'm not against analytics. I'm not against finding a better way to do things. But he he said, and this is like a, an actual quote from him, he said, but brother, if you're going to tell me that, you know, 85% of the time I got to play two steps to my left, then, then I shouldn't be in this game because if I, if I can't move laterally quick enough to get that ground ball, I shouldn't be playing. And he brings up a great point. You know, he, he again, he sees both sides of the argument that, yes, analytics can be good, but it cannot dictate how the game is played. And I think he hit it perfectly and then no less than David Ortiz said the guy with 500 plus career home runs home runs are ruining the game and if a guy with with that sort of pedigree and authority is saying that home runs are ruining the game then by god I'm gonna believe him hey I have a question for you you just mentioned a, a shortstop that can't move two feet to his left are we talking about Derek Jeter still or oh love it love it I think I, we I just did. lost Roz one of our directors of the <laughs> podcast here he's gone he's frozen and gone I'm somehow gonna be muted this entire podcast Roz is a good sport. Got a smile on his face and the Yankee cap on his head. We can't prevent that, but yeah. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's getting Darwin. You said it perfectly. The the nerdification of the game. Uh, it gets to be too much. And I don't. You know, I I don't want to see this stuff in the middle of a broadcast. And when a guy hits a bomb 450 feet, we can just appreciate it for what it is. The guy hits it. You know, outside of three counties. Okay. I don't need to see exit velocity. I don't need to see you know, these, these other metrics, if that's something you want to present after the game and do some sort of statistical comparison, fine. But it's, a, I don't need to see it every time a ball is hit hard. It's just, it's too much. It's, just, it's, it's numbing. To be completely honest, sometimes it's, 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 it goes against you because you see, you see a guy who looks like he launched something 7,000 feet in the, into the, the atmosphere. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, it was 380. <laughs> oh, cool. Fair point. Sweet. Fair point. <laughs> I don't know. I I think it, it depends on how you want to be a fan. That's what I always go back to. Is if you want to look at that stuff and enjoy it, then feel free. And if you don't, ignore it. Because I, I think if the Red Sox had a better team, Zook would actually be more excited about this team. But the, the brass tacks, this team sucks.
looks. But I would say, Sheely, that it also it's changing the game because it's used so much. If the, you know what I'm saying, like it's not. Well, just I don't think it's the advanced. It. I don't think it's a, the advanced stats as much as it is the the three true outcomes: the strikeout, the home run, or the walk. It's it's that's that's what's really killing it. And the launch angle. I mean, that is an advanced. The launch stat. angle is the big one. I was trying to think of. But that's yeah. not something that that's not something that fans are really dictating. That's something that coaches, managers, uh, MIT nerds, like you were talking about. Um, that's something that they're pushing because, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's similar to the, the revolution in the NBA of the three point shot. The three point shot is worth more than a two point shot. That's, that's obvious. Everyone knows that the home run is worth more than a single. Everyone knows that as well. Um, but it's also, you get more money when you, when you hit a home run than you do if you're, you know, just a single hitter. So it's, it's, it's not just the, the advanced metrics that the fans and, and, the nerds are going for it's also the fact that players realize they have the potential to earn a lot more money if they hit home, you know 50 home runs a year than they do if they hit 200 hits and you know 197 of them are singles yeah well not if yeah i agree with that but not if the ratings keep going down because then their contracts are going to get lower as time goes on but i i agree with your premise definitely yeah yeah i think there's it's it's removed a certain aesthetic from the game that we all grew up with you know and darwin you mentioned a couple things at the very top you know a guy stretching a single into a double a double into a triple you know you just yes and you you know even the small ball a guy that can lay down a bunt you know it's there there is so so fewer strategies so much less strategy now you know because of the three true outcomes of what the game has become you know uh home run walk or strikeout you know that's that's all it is and it's it's taken away so much from the game that we've you know growing up with and it's i almost feel bad for the the younger generation that's that's growing up with you know with the game the way it is now because they they've never seen the way it was game the, the way the game was played before and it's like well, i guess if you don't know what you're missing then you, you can't really miss it because you weren't there but let me let me throw a little wrench at, let me throw a little wrench in that argument though so so you're saying that you know the game isn't played the same way it was back then right look look at the look at the red sox in 2002 3 4 5 they weren't exactly playing small ball they were pretty much the prototype for what we are seeing now. The difference is those Red Sox teams were amazing for us because we're Red Sox fans. So we're going to be into it no matter what. Honestly, if your team is great, you're going to be into it. If your team sucks, yeah, it's a little bit less so. And right now, the Red totally Sox agree. have, a, have a, a terrible, terrible, terrible team. And it's all from trading Mookie Betts. God. <clears throat> oh, man, here we go. <laughs> that one's going to haunt us. A generational a talent, a generational talent, the likes of which few ba fan bases, few teams have ever seen, and they let him walk. But yet you didn't seem so angry about Tom Brady going. He won six with the team. Tom Brady's but Mookie 43 best. years old. Mookie, Mookie was 26 or whatever he was. I don't even know. Brady is a bionic man. <laughs> Apparently. Another fair point. Yeah, this is, this is something that um, – has taken up a, a lot of bandwidth on our on our group text uh, over over the last couple of years. Um, I just you know it's it it sucks. We all agree it sucks. I mean there there's arguments, maybe not strong ones, but arguments made that in the long term it was the best thing to do because I, I keep going back to kind of what we said about you know Brad Stevens and assessing him. There are things we don't see, and I think with Mookie there were things we don't see there are things that we don't know there are things that quite frankly maybe haven't made been made public yet about how we truly felt about being in boston as a black athlete i don't want to get too far into this you have sound like you have inside information man i wish i did my friend i wish i did but um i i i don't it's i i don't want to think that there was some sort of racial component here i really don't but when you look at what happened and what transpired and like, why would you trade a generational talent when you have gobs of money as John Henry does, why would that happen to me? There's more behind the scenes that we just don't know. I'm not, I'm not defending the trade at all. I'm not saying that all I'm saying is I think that there are factors that went into this that just haven't been made public yet. And they may never be, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you look at uh, black players, 
around the league have said for a long, long time that Boston is a tough place to play. And these are visiting players. Look at what Adam Jones has said in recent years where he's standing in center field when he's playing for the Orioles and he's hearing some some things that, that you know, Torrey Hunter too. No one should hear. You shouldn't hear anywhere, no matter where you are. And, and he's hearing him out in public amongst 37,000 people. That's, uh, to say it's embarrassing would be an understatement. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a tendency of, of some Boston Red Sox fans to kind of downplay that and say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That's not, that's an old reputation that the Red Sox have. And, and you know, hey, man, the proof's in the pudding. Adam Jones isn't exactly an old-time player that played in the 60s and 70s. He's playing now. So uh, we need to listen to these guys. And you're right. I mean, maybe there is a component, a racial component in there, and that's why he wanted he wanted to leave. And, and for sure, he wanted to leave that last year. He was, he was certainly on his way out. So if at that point, you probably had to make the trade. My fault more, more in lies the years pr- prior to that. When he was a, a much younger player, it was evident the talent that he was. They should have tried to lock him up then, and they didn't because they wanted to act like a small franchise, and they're not. They're the second or third or fourth most uh, biggest revenue-producing team in the game, and they're not acting like it. And that's, that's the thing that's more insulting to me than anything. Don't cry poor to me when you're making money hand over fist. That's, that's the thing that kills me. And they could have done that earlier on. And now they're saying, oh, no, no, we have to get, we have to have financial flexibility. Oh, no, we, we can't do this. We have to, let's sign Marwin Gonzalez because he plays seven positions. None of them very well anymore, but there are seven positions that man can play. Oh, he homered twice today, my friend. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Marwin Gonzalez is on the Red Sox? Yeah, how about that, buddy? <laughs> That's uh, you know, that actually kind of brings me to a fun game. I was hoping to play a game. If you guys are up for it, tell, let me know if, if if you think this is a good idea. But we could play a game. Who's on the Red Sox? <laughs> this is a good way to wrap it up. I think. Yeah, try to. I, I think so. Yeah. This, this is a good jumping off point here. Um, can can we name what what are the fifteen? Is that the over under? No, it's not even that. I I don't even want to play an over under anymore. We, we maybe we could do that after. But the first thing I want to do. And, and I really want, no offense, Waymeyer, I want to leave you on the, on the bench right now for this one because I want to I pick on my buddy Zook over here. <laughs> Gladly. So you had, gonna, I, gonna... Yeah, I haven't seen you in a, like a year, Sheely, only on tech, so this is your chance to really get at me, yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple of names, and I want you to tell me, Red Sox or not Red Sox? Okay. Mm. Okay, all right. So I'm going to start. I haven't cheated. I didn't look up any Red Sox when you guys said in advance you might ask me who's on the team, so. We'll take it at your word. That's good. Okay, so I'm going to start with what I think is an easy one. Matthew Andres. Matt Andres. He's on the team. Didn't they sign he, him? He is on the team. Yes, he, he is a, he's a starter candidate. A either sixth or seventh pitcher. I'm not joking. Oh, he's a, that's right, pitcher. I thought he was, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. So we'll Football give you like nine-tenths of credit on that because you didn't know he was a pitcher. That's okay. You knew he was on the team. All right. Jim Corsi. No, no, no. He's a reliever from like he's like their bullpen coach now or something, isn't he? I don't know. He was he was a he was a pitcher for them like in the two in the two thousand eight or something. I uh, close. He was ninety seven to ninety nine. Very good. Former former right handed reliever. Little rotund. He was a little little larger than life. He actually not quite El Guapo, but you know. I almost I almost put El Guapo on here to see if, if but I figured that would be too <laughs> easy. Should have. I, I figured that'd be too I easy. I know more about the, the, the two thousand the two thousand ten years, yeah. Okay. Uh Ben Ray Luhan. I have no idea who that is. It sounds like a sunglasses, Ben Ray. Uh I'm gonna say no. Mm, yeah, you're you're three three and zero oh right now. You, that, that is a that is a Democratic senator from the state of New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this guy, Alan Shepard? No. Oh man, it's it's hard to trick you, man. It's he he was the first American to travel into space in 1961. This game might not be as good as I thought it was if you're nailing every single one of these. Josh Taylor. I don't know a Josh Taylor, so I have to be on. I'll say no. I don't know Josh. I mean, that's a that's a pretty common sounding name. That's our that's our first miss. He's a lefty Ooh. lefty bullpen arm. Um, Waymeyer didn't even know that. No, I did know that. I knew he was on the team. Come on, come on. All right. 
This one I think will be kind of easy, but it's it's like my favorite name ever. Uh, Archimedes Pozo. Uh, Archimedes. What is he hanging out with like Socrates back in the day? I don't know an Archimedes. No, I'm going to say no. Well, he is a no now, but he used to be. He was an infielder for the Red Sox in 1996 and 1997. I, I remember him. Him and Pork yeah, he was a uh, third baseman slash second baseman. He was pretty terrible. Um, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, but he backed uh, up Jeff Fry. Remember Jeff Fry back in the Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember Jeff Fry. Currently Steve, a can, can, I, can I toss one at him? Go for it. All right, Darwin, here we go. Drew McIntyre. That sounds like a boy band person. Um, no, he's actually WWE champion, but, uh, you, you got it right regardless. So he's, well done. He's, he's still smaller than you. Much smaller. <laughs> and, and the last one I had on my list is Mike rounds. Mike rounds. Yes. R O U N D S. He sounds like a slugger. I'm going to say yes. He sounds like a middle of the order slugger. It does sound like that. He is also a senator from the United States, this time from South Dakota. Oh, come on, South Dakota. I believe he's a Republican. So I tried to go Democrat for the first and Republican for the second. I, I try to play both sides of the aisle. I'm a man of the people, if you will. You are. You are, Steve Sheely. You are very diplomatic. That's why you wouldn't curse before. Yeah. <laughs> keep it keep it in the middle. I like that. I don't. If my dad listens to this and I get in trouble for cursing, I, I'd have to blame you. So I'm not going to let that happen. That's fair. Good point. I like it. Absolutely. Sheely, well done. Darwin, well done. And fellas, I think that is a good place to wrap up the inaugural Sons of Bellhorn podcast. Uh, This was fun. And I just want to note to people out there that at the start of this, we were told, you know what, if you can, if you could somehow squeeze 30 minutes out of this, then go for it. We've been talking for what, two and a half days. (laughs) It feels like it. Who won the Celtics game? (laughs) I don't know. I was tracking it until like mid fourth quarter, and I just kind of lost track of it. So. I've shaved three times since this thing has started. He did. I, I saw it. I saw it because we can all see each other right now. Um, guys, this was fun, and my hope is that it's not the last time we do this because uh, this could this could be something. The Sons of Bellhorn are coming for you, and uh, we didn't get to the Bruins tonight. Uh, the who? You know, who she- is this? Well, Sheely, the the Bruins are a professional hockey team. No, not those Bruins. Oh, my fault, my fault. These Bruins play in Boston. They play in a sheet of ice, and they they smack around a little black rubber thing called a puck. I got to say, that sounds stupid. (laughs) Hey, you love the Whalers. Don't lie back in the day. You were a Hartford Whalers. Brass brass Bonanza, Sheely. You know you got Brass Bonanza as your ringtone. Come on. I got brass ones, baby. You do. And on that note, because there's no way I'm topping that line, we're out. For Steve Sheely, for Darwin Zook, I'm Matt Wehmeyer. We are the Sons of Bellhorn. We'll see you next time.